It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. You let me just stay with the weather for the moment because Met Aaron have issued status yellow rain warnings for seven counties and it includes our good selves here in uh, Cork. According to Met Aaron, there is a tropical air mass that's been drawn up by what is now the ex Hurricane Sam. And uh, the Hurricane Sam obviously was and is nowhere uh, near us. Uh, but this tropical air mass uh, is being dragged up and it's pulling up warm tropical air with it and it's that warm tropical air that is carrying a lot of moisture so a band of rain that's associated with this warm air mass is now slowly moving it's stalled at the moment and it looks like it's going to hover over it's really it's all if you if you look at it on any of the charts it's all down the west of the country but it's taking in unfortunately Cork and Kerry but the whole western half of the country has this air mass which is just kind of stuck over the country and it's likely to leave to a lot of rainfall. So there were weather warnings in place. Some came in from midnight last night, particularly up around Donegal and Galway and Mayo. But for us here in the south, for Cork and our good neighbours in Kerry, the, the status yellow rain warning kicks in from midday today and it means prolonged rain with heavy bursts at times heavier and more persistent though tomorrow Friday and there will also be significant accumulations possibly in upland areas so there, therefore from that there is the risk of localised flooding and the status yellow rain warning that starts at 12 o'clock today will remain in place until 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon and that's because of this band of uh, rain that seems to just be stalled over the country at the moment so don't go anywhere uh, without uh, an umbrella or a raincoat I can't say don't go anywhere without a winter coat because the other side of it is we've got this extremely mild weather and making it kind of muggy and humid and it's going to be very mild at night. I mean, for example, they're saying temperatures overnight won't dip below 14 degrees Celsius at night. There was days last week when we didn't even get to 14 degrees during the day and now suddenly we're looking at 14 degrees uh, overnight. Uh, so uh, just uh, keep dry is the main message. John Paul taking your calls this morning at 1850 Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103. Your thoughts are welcomed on the latest Irish Times Ipsos MRBI opinion poll. 
that has been released today. It is showing a sharp fall in support for Fianna Gael and it has now opened up a 10-point lead between Fianna Gael and uh, Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin is strengthening its position now as the most popular party among voters. Looking at a breakdown of the opinion poll out today, Sinn Féin now has the support of almost two Uh, at almost a third of the voters coming in at 32% and that's far ahead of the nearest next party which is Fianna Gael they're in at 22% and Fianna Fáil are at 20% The poll also shows a drop in the satisfaction rating for the government It's gone from the last time they did this poll was in June and satisfaction rating for the government then was at 53% Today, it has fallen to 46%. The Taoiseach Micheál Martin and the Tánaiste Leo Varadkar, their personal approving ratings have also fell. Micheál Martin's fell by eight points, but Leo Varadkar had a substantial drop in popularity. He's gone down 13 points and he now stands at 43%. Looking then at the other parties, the Green Party has gone up one. They're at 7%. The Labour Party also up one. They're at 4%. And then when you combine all the independents together, they come in at um, 16%, which is up three. But the breakdown of the independents are showing the Social Democrats went up one to three percent. Solidarity, people before profit, no change at two percent. Ain't through no change at one. And then the other independents, they are up to two ten percent. But the sharp drop in support for Fine Gael and for its leaders are probably the most noticeable aspect of this particular poll and it brings the party now to the lowest levels since the last general election and I suppose when you know the political commentators and the political analysts certainly within the various political parties they'll be digesting it and trying to explain what's the reason for the fall I suppose the Fine Gael fall can in some way be explained away by things that have happened in recent weeks to Fine Gael in particular. They had the sustained criticism over the what ended up not being the appointment of the former Minister Catherine uh, Sapone as the special envoy. Then, of course, in the midst of all of that, they had a vote of no confidence in the Minister for uh, Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney. So I'm assuming Fine Gael will explain some of it away by that. But it's quite a big fall for them, particularly for big disappointment, I feel, for Leo Varadkar. And you wonder as well, the photograph of Leo Varadkar over at the, what was it, the Mighty Hoopla Festival over in London. You wonder, would all that have fed into it as well but to have fallen 13% it's certainly not a good day at the office for Leo Varadkar when he's opening the papers uh, this morning the poll results also have come in uh, it was taken after the launch of the National Development Plan that happened on Monday because the government would have expected to get some kind of a bounce from the National Development Plan bearing in mind that they were speaking on Monday of investments of €165 billion euro in capital projects over the next 20 years you know, as we the pandemic continues to recede, they would have expected some kind of a bounce. But unfortunately, this poll was taken before uh, before that announcement went uh, through. And the result of the highest ratings for Sinn Féin, and this is the highest rating in this Irish Times, Ipsos, MRBI uh, series, though the party remains strongest. 
amongst younger voters. They're also strongest in working class communities. In this particular poll, they've seen gains uh, this year among older voters and also among wealthier voters. So that's certainly going to be good news for Sinn Féin. The party leader, Mary Lou Macdonald, sees a marginal increase in her satisfaction. She is now at, she went up one from 42 to 43. So she's neck and neck with Leo Varadkar when it comes to popularity as party leaders. Fianna Fáil support remains skewed as always, though, towards older voters, though the party will be happy, they did receive uh, more support in the Dublin area. So they'll be happy with that because they haven't been doing well in Dublin in a number of years. And then for the Greens, they're at 7%. They've now recovered to the level of support they won at the last general election, although their party leader, Eamon Ryan, he saw his personal approval rating slip by it just went down by one point. He's now at uh, 25% and it does put him at the lowest of all of the party uh, leaders. So, but if there was a general election today, it would look like it would certainly be a good day for Sinn Féin. So Sinn Féin party support, 32% up one. Fianna Gael at 22%. They saw a drop of 5%. Fianna Fáil have remained the same at 20%. The Greens went up one there at 7% and the Labour Party also up one at uh, 4%. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850-333-103. Also interested in your thoughts on a story that's making a lot of the the papers indeed the front page of the Examiner and I know we're carrying it as our main news story this morning. And this is to do with the student leaders at UCC They have pleaded for immediate government support. This was after a food bank that they opened up yesterday ran out of supplies in less than 50 minutes last night. The UCC Students' Union, they reopened an on-campus food bank. Now, they've done it for the first time since 2019. Now, when you go back to 2019 and when they had a food bank in operation at the campus, they were on average catering for about 30 students a day. So it was kind of been done quietly. Food bank was there. Students found themselves in difficulty, didn't have money for food. They knew they could go to the food banks. About 30 every day were turning up. So whether they were expecting something similar last night or not, I don't know. But they opened up the food bank. More than 100 people showed up. Suddenly they ran out of the food parcels and the supplies that they had. But students continued to turn up and they had to say, sorry, we've, you know, we've got no more food left. So they, they ended up having to turn students away. And I saw on social media, they had to put up a little sign saying, sorry, we have run out of food at our food bank. So in the papers today, uh, the UCC Students' Union president is quoted, um, Asha Woodhouse, said it was heartbreaking not to have had enough and to see so many students experiencing food insecurity. Their welfare officer, Quiva Welch, said it is a lot worse than what we thought. She said we now have to figure out if we can, should, can do this more often. Uh, maybe we even need to do it daily. But obviously if they're going to open up a food bank daily, they're saying they're going to obviously need a lot more support. Now when she was asked as for what the reasons why she felt so many people had turned up, she said there were soaring accommodation costs. You know, rent obviously has gone up. She also made the point that utility bills have gone up. And she said for some students, it's leaving them with little or nothing for food. 
And because of that, she said there are some students attending third level institutions, including UCC, who are going in uh, hungry. Now, the food bank opened yesterday, by the way, thanks to donations from the wonderful gang at Cork Penny Dinners. They also had students themselves uh, making donations, local businesses made donations and uh, staff from uh, UCC. Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners said that politicians simply have to do more. Now, I... Katrina Toomey did say in the papers today that she is expecting that there will be some people will be dismissing this as a non-story and saying this is not an issue. There are not students going hungry because look at the images that appeared on social media last week, which on on the streets of Cork, there was a number of students partying uh, out in the city centre and there were a lot of drink and a lot of money was spent on drink. So you will have people say, Asher, look, what's happening here? Are they just hanging on to their money for drink? And then coming into the food bank instead. So Katrina Toomey is saying, yeah, you are, you are, and we'll have people who will dismiss this. But she says, and you have to keep this in mind, that those who turn up for a food bank for help are not the students, she says, that are out partying. She said, we have to make people realise that we are in a university city where some students are going hungry. And she said, we'll stand over feeding them and nobody will tell her not to uh, feed them. And a UCC spokesperson said it is acutely aware of the challenges is faced by its students and they're also working together to try to uh, support them but I don't know whether that was a first for a food bank on a university campus in this country to very quickly have to put up a sign saying we have run out of food sorry. No they did put up a a contact detail for a welfare officer uh, in case somebody was really uh, struggling. Your thoughts welcomed though. He followed with great interest the auction last week of a walking stick once used and owned by Michael Collins, one of this country's most famous freedom fighters. We all had hopes that it would end up here in Cork, but at the very least, we had fingers crossed that it would remain in the Republic and not end up going to an overseas buyer. It turned out it was purchased by a Dublin hotelier and it's now gone on display in a Dublin pub and restaurant called the Unpochine Still. West Cork, Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard is not happy and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning, Patricia. Tim, do you believe the government should have purchased this walking stick? Oh, absolutely. I wrote to the Minister about this maybe three weeks ago when I first heard about uh, the papers and the walking stick going up for sale and I explained to her the significance of it but also, you know, for West Cork and for the year that's coming into it, year like a oh, hundred years next year since Collins died, there's fierce kind of significant value to this kind of um, information and this kind of material. And I think, unfortunately, we just don't have a policy to deal with it. Like, it came up, I wrote to her, I got an acknowledgement afterwards, and before I knew where it was, the actual auction happened. And as you said, a a hoteler from Dublin bought the stick, and it's displayed at the moment over a bar in some pub called Unputin Still. Do you know the bar? No. No. I actually do. I actually didn't, but I actually researched it. I passed it on the way home. It's on the left-hand side going down the road towards Nace. Okay. place I've never actually called in my life. But accordingly, there's great memorabilia there. But my problem is, private collectors now are going to step into this place and we're going to have the majority of information, memorabilia and material dating back to 1922 because 1922 is such an important year there's going to be great interest and because of that we're going to see a lot of it go into private ownership and like my understanding is that this man has 
not just this walking stick heels, really significant information, including the ball that was used in the 1916 um, All-Ireland Final and stuff like that. So there's some serious serious stuff falling into private ownership that the state will never again see unless the private owner wants us to see it. Yeah, and you know, at least he has put, he has put it up on display, seeming as you walk into the pub, it's one of the first things uh, you see. But it's in a pub that it's, there's a lot of GAA memorabilia seemingly in the pub uh, as well and he has the ball actually from the Bloody Sunday the Bloody Sunday massacre at Crow Park as well but it was just the fact I think well at least it's ended, it stayed in, this, in the country it could have gone uh, overseas and just there was other items of memorabilia as well wasn't there purchased? There was yeah and there was significant stuff there like we had papers from um, 19 basically it was 1919 regarding the activities of Collins and where he was going regarding the actual police forces and what their view was of Collins. That's really significant stuff even to read to actually have the opportunity to get an understanding of what the British forces thought of Collins back then and what their plans were for him. So like there's unique history out there and I think you're going to see an awful lot of it emerge in the next nine months because People are going to see the advantage of actually, unfortunately, cashing in on the the year that's in it, the 1922 um, 100 years commemorations coming around. So you're going to have an awful lot of information come forward. And we just must make sure we're going to be in a place in a fast, proactive manner to step into the market to purchase stuff like this. Were you, but were you surprised at how it, it was €60,000 in yeah. the end? I mean, we had been talking about it when we knew it was going up for sale. We were saying twelve. Yeah, I mean, I it, it was. Yeah. Did that surprise you that it, that it went so high? Absolutely, I think I have to admit that. Um, I was, like yourself, 10 or 12,000 um, sterling, what I was told when I actually rang was the actual market price for it, um, which I had no intention of buying. But like the knock-on effect was it went through the roof. It literally went up to 52,000 sterling, which is equivalent to 60,000 euro. Shows the and interest, doesn't it? It does, and I think that's the issue. There's massive interest in Collins, massive interest in the story, in the legacy of what he meant for Ireland and the world in so many ways. And I think the date that's in it, you're going to have so much interest here now. But we we have to react. And I think my problem here now is, look, it was an expensive item, definitely, but we had no ability as a state to react to this. And I think that's really that got me, like I got an acknowledgement from the minister that she was going to look into it. It was gone before I'd say she looked into it. Unless we're going to be proactive, we're going to lose other memorabilia that has to stay in the state. And we're blessed that it actually stayed in the Republic. Like this could have gone to New York in a flash. I'm sure if there was a New York publican thought this memorabilia was for sale and for 60,000, he'd probably buy it for his own memorabilia to be another, you know, matter of, you know, history to put in a bar in New York and that would be a terrible shame for Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I say, I know it's in Dublin. We want it here in Cork, but at least it's it stayed in in the Republic. But is it a case, Tim, that the Department of uh, Arts and Culture cannot afford to purchase every item that comes up for sale? And I think you're right. We can't publish absolutely everything. We can't have, but on the other side, there is really significant stuff that's probably going to come available in the next six or eight months. And I think that's the issue. And like we have a potential, in particular with tourism, to to work with the Collins story to make sure we have the ability to tell the story. In West Cork in particular, mm-hmm. we have fantastic museums in Kilty that tell the story of Collins. There's going to be great activity next year in West Cork about the actual Collins story. And I think that 
kind of initiative by the government to step into the space would be money well spent. And I'm not sure what's going to happen next. And I think that's the issue. Like, we, we don't know what piece of what artefact will come up next. And because of that, we just need to be ready for when it happens. And, and, and I think you're right because of the 100th anniversary of the, the death of Michael Collins. Anyone who has an item in a private collection or maybe inherited an item will know that next year and the lead up to next year is going to be the time where you're going to make good money. And the very fact that this walking stick went up so much in value you're going to have people saying maybe now is the right time to sell. So I think you're right. I think more items will suddenly come up on the market. Yeah, and I think in many ways the price that this item made will ensure that more items will come up because if you had the opportunity to have an item in your private collection or hand it down to you, you will now be saying, what's this worth? What will I do with it? Will I cash in? And in particular, I think from next year on, I think from next spring on, the interest in Collins is going to build and build and build, build all the way till, you know, that fateful day in August 2022. And you're going to have a real interest in the entire story. And I think that's when you're going to see more items come on board, more stuff come out, more papers in particular regarding his activity and how he was actually working, you know, covertly regarding his activities. And I think that's the kind of information that we need to see because that's that's history. That's real history and it's Irish history that we just have to protect. Yeah. Uh, Michael Imalo says he reckons about two years ago the swagger stick that you would often see Michael Collins holding in uh, photos went up for sale at the time. The county mayor asked Cork County Council to purchase it but they didn't. The stick was purchased according to Michael Imalo by another Mallow man and he says it's currently on loan to the Michael Collins house in Clonakilty. So it did end up in a private collection but whoever that person is decided to to give it and put it on loan which is a, a really generous thing to do and the swagger stick came with all the documentation to prove the uh, ownership. Were you aware of that? Yeah, about maybe 18 months ago that stick became available and it's in Clannacilty House down the square in Clannacilty and if you go back further um, I think in the early 90s uh, the late Peter Barry would have bought Kitty Carlin's letters and donate them to the Cork Museum. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's lovely so when people do that. But I mean, this, this, and I, I'm not taking from this man in Dublin, this, he, this man in Dublin is a businessman Absolutely. who obviously likes the idea of putting these items on display yeah, in his premises. Will you call into the Ampuchin still? And it's have a look on at my it? list is today. It? Honest to God, I'll finish up here around half four and I'm saying to my wife, I'm going to be an hour late because they're going to go for lunch just to make sure it's there. Okay. All right. And maybe see if you can have a chat and see. He might give it, put it on loan even for a little while, which would be a, which would be a nice thing for him to do, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And Who I is think he? Louis, Louis Fitzgerald is, is Louis he? Fitzgerald. He owns he a owns number of premises. Pops restaurant yeah. in Dutton, I think he's, yeah. If anybody knows Louis Fitzgerald, give us his number and we'll give him a call. Listen, uh, Tim, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is uh, Senator Tim Lambert, who believes that the Department of Arts and Culture should have purchased that uh, stick. And then once purchased, put it into one of the two museums that we have in Clonakilty. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today 
on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now yesterday morning, Cork East Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy James O'Connor joined us to share his disappointment and anger that road projects in East Cork that he had been led to believe would be included in last Monday's National Development Plan were not included. Deputy James O'Connor once again joins me to talk about how the last 24 hours has gone for him. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. Now, James, you left us yesterday saying you were hoping to talk with the Taoiseach, you were hoping to talk with the Transport uh, Minister. We know now the Taoiseach was out of the country uh, yesterday, but did you manage to, to chat with both of them yesterday? So the good news is, following on from the interview yesterday, I, I received a call um, from the Taoiseach who was in Eastern Europe uh, and I've been meeting with him this evening with the Minister for Transport as well to discuss the issue. And I, I suppose it was because you mentioned that this was a resigning issue from the Fianna Fáil party uh, for you. There was like, huge media attention on it. 24 hours later, James, are you still feeling the same way? I want to say from the outset that this this was a situation that I really didn't uh, want to arise. Uh, it was unnecessary in terms of how the issue had been communicated to me that Castlemark or Killahan, the Fota Access Road, were not communicated to me, which are crucial projects. Um, but I just want to say that it is going into this meeting, uh, for me, a red line issue. But I do appreciate uh, that the Taoiseach came back to me and I look forward to engaging with him with good faith. And of course, to set this all in context, uh, you know, particularly Castle Martyr and, and Killa, you know, that is the main road between Cork and Rasslair uh, and in a Brexit environment uh, where there's issues in our supply chain, uh, our connection points to Europe are extremely important and Rasslair is of growing importance to goods and services being exported. And on a domestic level locally, it's also extremely important to industry in the local area and local community uh, and for people who are commuting to and from their place of work and education on a daily basis. Now, the Taoiseach did say that there is a clause in the National Development Plan to allow other roads and bypasses to be added. Do you take anything from that clause? I want to seek reassurances from today's meeting uh, from the Taoiseach, Patricia, that the project will be guaranteed to go ahead, that it will be funded and supported at a cabinet level by government in the same way that those projects that have been directly identified on the National Development Plan documents um, have the same dial of reassurance. Uh, and that's something that I am very much seeking urgent clarification on. Uh, I've made those points to the Minister for Transport in particular, who I have deep reservations about his commitments to solving issues around road transportation. Um, I have shared my views with him on a personal level, uh, and I'm also doing so, I suppose, uh, on a national level in terms of, of speaking to the media about uh, my concerns as well around Eamon Ryan's commitment to to rural Ireland and our rural transport infrastructure. Uh, and that's a point I wish to speak to him about during this meeting today. And if the Taoiseach can't give you those reassurances, James, you said this is a red line issue, you said it is a resigning issue from the party. Is is your head still in that space? You know, before I went on the radio with you tomorrow, or, or yesterday, I think it's important to say that this had been going on since Sunday when I received the call to tell me that the project was not included on the National Development Plan in terms of being identified. Um, this is day four for me. Uh, I suppose people only found out yesterday because I decided it was in the public interest to let the constituents in Cork East aware um, that these arguments were going on. 
Um, so I'm on day four of my thought process around this particular issue, and I want to say I'm going into this meeting today with the best intentions um, to try and resolve the situation that we are in. But I would like to make the point um, from the point of view of this issue to me as a public representative of the people of Cork East, this project for me is a red line issue. I've communicated that very clearly with the Taoiseach and Minister for Transport um, uh, repeatedly. Uh, and even before the situation arose, I've been working on it continuously on a two over two and a half year period. So, you know, a lot of people feel they've been bounced into what had happened yesterday in the public domain, but in reality, it's been going on now for some time, uh, and I felt it was no longer um, appropriate for me to, to keep that under wraps. Well, for as long as I've been interviewing you and, and chatting with you as an elected representative and even when you were running uh, to become a Dáil Deputy for the first time, it's always been an issue for you. Like it isn't just suddenly something you decided, oh, we need to have these particular road projects uh, done. So I think everybody who has dealt with you in any way and anyone who has spoken to you in the public realm will know how committed and how passionate you are about the area and about getting these roadworks uh, progressed. But do you still feel that you were misled? The, you know, the promise of these roads, you, I mean, you genuinely believed that they were going to be included. I, I really do stand by the remarks I made on the show yesterday with you. Um, you know, the circumstances around that have not changed. Um, and I've even found, you know, in the last 48 hours that some people have tried to disrepute what I had said. Um, and, and that's something that I wish to say that I, I am deeply uh, uncomfortable with. Uh, and I will not be accepting any dialogue on the basis of what was said and what was not at today's meeting. I'm going in there to secure this project, to get the status of its future and to fight for funding for the project and also to raise concerns around the FOTA access road as well, and the N73 in North Cork around pull funding that had been pulled. So in terms of a discussion, it'll be directly related to road transportation projects in Cork East. You know, I can't go in there and deliver everything. The National Development Plan had had a very significant investment in our rail network in Cork East. We're also getting a new primary care centre in Yall and the new residential community hospital in Yall out of the National Development Plan and I fought hard for that. But this discussion today is very much focused on uh, the the roads aspect of the National Development Plan and that's going to be the, the auspices of the discussion. What has been the reaction locally? I'm, I'm assuming that your phone was going non-stop yesterday. The reaction locally, I have to say, I've been overwhelmed um, by the messages of support. It's very rare in politics it's being being completely honest with people uh, are very positive in terms of their correspondence that they send at the emails or the messages or text messages or calls support and I would like to say my, my family and I very much appreciate it um, and, and and I have to say it's been overwhelmingly positive a number of campaigners in Dublin have been quite critical um, because they obviously they, they would rather see money being invested in that area in public transport but I know the needs of the constituents in Cork East uh, need to be a priority for, for transport investment as well. Uh, and, and I've come from a position here in good faith. This is a very serious issue. Uh, there's a national uh, interest to getting this road upgraded as well as a local interest. Uh, and everybody who knows the community down there knows the effect that it's having on people in East Cork. Uh, and it is dramatic and very damaging to our, uh, our, 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 our economy as well. 
Yeah, and it'll be interesting when you go into the meeting today uh, to to try to find out why was it excluded? Like everybody knows how important that particularly the two bypasses uh, are because as everybody talks about the gridlock uh, in that area. So it would be interesting to see who decided, no, we're not going to include it this time around and why? Yes, and I think going back to what had happened in the last number of weeks where commitments have been given to me, um, that's something that I want to try and establish and understand as well about what went on in those last minute negotiations. What we know is now the case is that my understanding is around Thursday of last week, uh, when I had been in conversations right up, right up until the end uh, with the Department of Transport, uh, that there was key decisions made in terms of the document. It went to print on Friday evening, um, so the document would have been finalised, obviously, for the, for the textbook doc, document to be put to print, um, but yet it was only on the Sunday night that I was told. Uh, and that's a point I've repeatedly made to the stakeholders involved in this discussion. Um, at a national level. Uh, I wonder, did any I other? I wonder, did any other TDs get a phone call? Did any, did any other TDs believe that they were their area was being included in the national development plan? Did anybody else get a phone call on Sunday? Did you hear of anybody else getting a phone call? I heard of a lot of conversations that were had that night um, by quite a few colleagues. But the the interesting thing is is that I suppose each road project has its own specifications and how expensive it could cost you know, how realistic or unrealistic it would be that it would get a full backing from the Exchequer and from government. And this project was very much deliverable. And that is what really has me in the current state of affairs that I'm in, that despite the fact that the road would pay back for itself multiple times within 10 years, you know, the fact that it would cut the journey time between Cork and Rosslayer and Water City by 20 minutes, that it still couldn't get the support it needed. And from an environmental point of view, take over 20,000 vehicles a day out of the main street of Castle Martyr and end the rash runs going into Mogili, going down into Ladies Bridge for people trying to escape the log jam in Castle Martyr in the evening time in particular. You know, from the emissions point of view, we're not trying to create additional roads, we're trying to shorten an existing road. Uh, and even from the environmental standpoint, I was very surprised. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things made, quite a lot of sense in terms of getting this project over the line. Okay. And that's the point I'll be making later, well, to the Minister for Transport. Your meeting's at 2 o'clock today, is it? Did I see that somewhere? No? So the meeting will be taking place after Cabinet today. Um, I understand it's been pencilled for half of six. Oh, oh sorry, it's this evening. today as well, I have a meeting on the Onakara Mental Health Centre. Okay. So unfortunately, I'm very tired for time. For okay, sure. we will talk with you tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we wish you luck. And I can see people in East Cork saying, go James, go. Uh, do your very best uh, for us. And just uh, ju- somebody said, James O'Connor, 100% correct. The busy road through Killa and Castle Martyr is a total bottleneck. It causes gridlock and massive delays. The best of luck to James today. We'll speak again tomorrow, James. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning. That is uh, Cork East, uh, as of now, Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy James O'Connor. On the way, we'll take a look at your calls and comments uh, coming in. And we're also going to be looking at how medical card patients are having huge, huge difficulties in access 
missing a dentist. If you've got a story to share or a comment to make, we welcome it to 1850 333 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some comments coming in reacting to Deputy James O'Connor ahead of his meeting this evening with the Taoiseach and with the Transport Minister to see if he can get the bypasses for Castle Martyr and Killer. Can he get those included in the National Development Plan or get some commitment that the money will be available to him? Uh, him and to the area. Judy in Ladiesbridge says uh, up front that I didn't vote for James now in the last election but the fact that he's standing up to the courage of his convictions and he has the courage to go public, uh, it really shows that he is really thinking of the people of East Cork. Judy said she was out walking last night and that James was the talk of the area. Now she said she spoke to one person who thought that when he said yesterday that he was going to resign from the Fianna Fáil party, he simply should have re- resigned and he felt that one person speaking to Judy felt it was publicity he was looking for but if that be the case as Judy then he's boxing very cleverly because if he does leave the Fianna Fáil party he'll be doing it for the good of East Cork while on the other side if he does manage to persuade the Taoiseach and the Transport Minister Eamon Ryan to change their mind and have Castle Martyr and Arkilla included for bypasses then it's going to be of huge benefit and he'll be a local hero in the area because so many people in the area would welcome improvements because it is an absolute uh, bottleneck. So I'm assuming Judy you're wishing him the very, very best uh, this evening at that meeting. Pat Connor says the money that went in to the new Greenway which runs from Middleton to Yall that money should have gone into a bypass. They have no problem finding money for greenways, uh, but they never seem to be able to find money for road works that are badly needed. JP in Carrick Tuhill said, it's refreshing to hear a passionate young politician listening to James O'Connor today, speaking out to those seasoned politicians. It's about time we had more young blood in Dolaren. Who, to look after the people of this great little country, says uh, JP, and that's JP in Carrick Tuhill. Thank you for that, uh, JP. And Dennis says, James would want to have a little bit of cop on. At the end of the day, James is one vote in the government. The Greens have 12. We know that the Taoiseach Micheál Martin uh, needs to keep the Greens on side, says uh, Dennis. Well, let's uh, wait and see what comes out of that meeting later on. As I say, James has committed that he will join us tomorrow on the programme to let us know what came out of the meeting and whether the, he's going to get the funding for the bypass in Castlemartyr and uh, Killa. And as I say, people in the area are keeping their fingers crossed that he will manage uh, to get them to change their mind. Now, by the way, we started the programme this morning. We were talking about the Michael Collins walking stick which has been bought by a guy called Louis Fitzgerald who seems to be, he owns a number of hotels and restaurants and pubs mainly in the Dublin area but this man seems to be big into memorabilia and literally he bought the, he only bought the walking stick last week and it's already gone on display and it's in a pub called the Pochin Still in Rathcool. It's a pub I can't say that I've ever been in or know uh, of so I was interested to hear uh, Senator Tim Lumber said he's going to make a point of going in just to make sure that it is on a display uh, but somebody po- has pointed out to me that the Pochin still in Rathcool was the pub where family and friends gathered to watch Michelle Smith 
1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. Now, how somebody has remembered that or knows that, I don't know. So do I take it from that, that that's the area where Michelle Smith, Michelle Smith de Bruyne lived, still lives? I don't know, is she in the Rathcool area? But well, well remembered. Uh, one listener saying that that's, so it's obviously a big sporting pub as well. I know it has a lot of GAA memorabilia uh, in it. 1850 Some listeners commenting on the students when I mentioned earlier on that the Students Union in UCC, they opened up a food bank yesterday and they ran out of food in under an hour. They used to have a food bank back in the last food bank they had was in 2019. Obviously they didn't need to have one last year with the pandemic. There was no students up on campus but they decided to reopen a food bank yesterday for the first time since the pandemic. They normally would get about 30 students a day coming into the food bank but yesterday over 100 turned up. Food bank ran out of food within 50 minutes and they still had people queuing up and they had to go out and say sorry all the food is gone. John says Patricia a lot of food could be provided with the students spend on alcohol. Is that not the very point that Katrina Toomey said was going to happen as soon as we mentioned uh, students? Another listener, Jimmy in Bantry, says, Patricia, I just do not get all the harshness towards students. Could the government not give them alcohol vouchers? Because that is what they are used to and it suppresses appetite for food, says uh, Jimmy in Bantry, who I take it as being a bit tongue-in-cheek this morning with his text. And then an email in from Hillary to Patricia at C103.ie. I live close to UCD and every week the students arrive in their brand new cars and spend most of their evenings partying. They certainly seem to have enough money to run their cars and buy their alcohol and more. This has been going on for years in our locality, says uh, Hillary. But as I mentioned, when I spoke about that food bank running out of food so quickly, Katrina Toomey, who was one of, on behalf of Cork Penny Dinners, they gave a helping hand to the UCC students to get the food parcels together. Uh, She said she knew that there was going to be this kind of commentary because only last week on social media there was scenes of Cork students partying in Cork City Centre but she's making the point that people have to realise that the, the people who turn up to food banks are not necessarily the students who are out partying and she said for that reason they will continue to work with students if students come and say they are hungry then she will do her very best to uh, help them out 1850 I also mentioned at the start of the programme the Ipsos MRBI survey that's in the Irish Times that is showing a, another increase for the Sinn Féin party over Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. Sinn Féin are now 10 percentage points ahead of Fianna Gael, 32 for Sinn Féin, 22 for Fianna Gael and 20 for Fianna Fáil with the Greens on 7, Labour on 4 and the Independents and others on uh, 16. Uh, so the Sinn Féin machine is certainly rumbling on. Michael is, says Patricia, we're at least three years away from a general election. I wouldn't le- lose any sleep over opinion polls at this moment in time. Always remember, as high as the bird flies, it has to come down to perch. Likewise, with political parties. I think that party leaders should only have a term of 10 years maximum, i.e. service party leaders in two five-year political terms. 
that would keep a fresh face every 10 years, not the same old, same old. It would create more certainty within the leadership roles and more stability, I feel, both at home and abroad. I wonder would people agree with that, that just for the leadership role that they would have to rotate after uh, 10 years. Do many last longer than 10 years? I'm wondering, I mean, I don't, Micheál Martin, how long is Leo Varadkar? as leader of the party but uh, it's something and then would you give if, if you're saying they remain as leader are they guaranteed that they remain as leader for 10 years to 5 year terms is that what you're saying uh, Michael thank you for your text 1850 333 103 and a couple of people are picking up on this story that is starting uh, to break and this is the cabinet are today we know there's a cabinet meeting today they're going to consider whether to send a government representative to uh, to attend the event in our this month. You know the one that President Michael D. Higgins declined to attend. It's this church service. It's been organised by the leaders of all of the Christian churches all over the island and it's going to mark the centenary of the partition of Ireland and the formation of Northern Ireland. Now it seems that there are indications that the Simon Coveney would be best placed to uh, attend. He is the Minister for Foreign Affairs so he's obviously very regularly up in Northern Ireland and he also works with all of the parties on an ongoing basis so he will already have some kind of a personal relationship with many of them. There is a possibility too that a cross-party delegation could attend the uh, uh, event. We know it's going to be attended by Britain's Queen uh, Elizabeth and last month remember President Michael Higgins and it caused a huge hoo-ha. I mean we had a lot of commentary here in the programme and a lot of listeners had views on it. Last month, President Michael D. Higgins came out and he felt that it would be inappropriate to attend. He said the title of the event, he said, isn't a neutral statement politically. And that was one of his big issues. The government, of course, came out and said it doesn't advise the president to, or they didn't advise the president to decline the invitation, but it clarified they would be constitutionally prohibited from doing so. So it was very much up to the president whether he wanted to attend or not. And the Taoiseach Micheál Martin at the time said that he respected President Michael D. Higgins' uh, decision. And certainly from from our listeners, the listeners to this programme's uh, point of view, the majority of people, 100%, were, ba- were backing President Michael D. Higgins and thought it was the right thing to do. There, a lot of people were against this. It was a service of reflection and hope to mark the centenary of the partition of Ireland and the formation of Northern Ireland. But, you know, many people pointing out that where in other countries would you have even the word celebration got quickly dropped because it was a service of of reflection but where would you even have a service of reflection where you're reflecting on your country having been divided so a number of people could see exactly where Michael D. Higgins was coming from others were saying no we're at you know a sensitive time on our island and we need to do everything to keep all sides happy and to you know make sure we don't upset anybody and people felt for that reason that, that Michael D. Higgins could have come some felt that he was going to be snubbing uh, Queen Elizabeth by refusing to attend the event. Now Michael D. Higgins came out himself and said absolutely no way is he snubbing uh, Queen Elizabeth You know, and pointed out that he'd met her on many, many occasions in the past and no doubt will meet her again into the future. So we will uh, can expect to hear, I don't know if that d- decision is actually going to be made or not, but certainly it's on the agenda. They're going to consider who they would send and it is looking likely that it is going to be our own Cork Minister uh, Simon Covey. And 
course, they're going to have to make the decision pretty quickly because it's on um, October the 21st. That's the bank holiday weekend, isn't it? Yeah. So time is running out. They're, go- they're going to have to make the decision one way or the other. Are the government right? Is that the correct thing to do? If Michael D. Higgins has declined the invitation, therefore should we be sending a representation from the government? Is that the right way to go? Send our Minister for uh, Foreign Affairs. Or is it a better option? And is what is another possibility a cross-party delegation could attend the event your thoughts welcomed on that 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 C103 Jobs A Delhi manager is wanted this is for Cronin's Centra in Ballylecky send your CV to Cronin's food store at gmail.com and post it for the attention of Marie Walsh a legal secretary is required for Hallisey and Partner Sisters. They're based in Bandon. CVs and a cover letter, please, to info at hplaw.ie. Customer care representative wanted. That's for a Mallow betting office. Email bbookmakers at gmail.com. And staff are required for an immediate start in a blind factory in McCroom. Sheila is your contact at 026 435 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. There has been a steady reduction in the number of dentists treating medical card patients in recent years, which is leading to people, often in pain, scrambling to find a dentist who can treat them. To discuss the issue further, I'm joined by Dr. Kieran O'Connor, who's Vice Chair of the General Practice Committee of the Irish Dental Association. Good morning to you, Kieran. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. I, I suppose, can you start by outlining why so many dentists are leaving the medical card scheme? And I could probably talk for two hours about that, Patricia, but I, I know I don't have that much time. But the medical card scheme, it started in 1994. And well, subject to savage cuts, it came in 2009, and these cuts were never... Now, there were seven on a new scheme that was before the crash but then the crash came and that all stalled and I suppose the pandemic has like many things has just heightened the problems that are there and there's been a mass exodus of dentists from the scheme you know in the past couple of years especially and we know from the HSC's own figures that in North Cork there's been a 26% reduction in the number of dentists participating in the scheme compared to 2017 and that happened even in greater numbers than other parts of the country. And the scheme isn't working for patients and isn't working for dentists. And that's really the crux of it. And it is important to point out because we regularly get calls in here from a particular town, you know, in East Cork, in North Cork, in West Cork, in the cities, and I can't get a dentist and what's happening in our area. This is a nationwide issue. This isn't just a problem for us here in Cork. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you in the past couple of weeks there have been many questions in the doll from all over the country out. and you know the Irish Dentist Association we now believe there, there are probably fewer than 800 dentists still treating significant numbers of medical patients now the problem is the scheme hasn't been fit for purpose for a long time and it's very restricted what a medical card holder can access anyway in a check up on seat probably two fillings for most people but unlimited extractions so the whole model of care has been 
you know, has become perhaps more dated as time has gone on. And what's now happening as well is, you know, lots of newly qualified dentists won't even sign up to the scheme. And I'm assuming dentistry and the way you practice as a dentist has changed since 1994. In 1994, you know, a tooth that, yes, you would have to extract may not have to be extracted today. Absolutely. And I mean, the the beauty of modern dentistry is it's all about trying to save teeth and prevent disease in the first place. Whereas the scheme is essentially treating disease that's already happened. There aren't really predictive components to it. And... You know, we really are calling on the state to, you know, have a totally new approach to how we can produce care, especially for the, the more vulnerable groups and the lower income groups that, you know, have trouble accessing dental care and need help and support to access dental care. Is it hard for dentists to walk away and say no to patients? It's, I think historically I would say it has been because, you know, dentists, dentists stayed in the scheme, even though they're not reducing but with the pandemic and you know dental practices are running slightly differently because we have reduced footfall we have reduced capacity and we have more pp etc and i think the straw that broke the camel's back was may of last year dentists were pro- promised for their medical care patients access with sourcing you know help in sourcing fee pp and that was promised but wasn't delivered on and that i think probably was the final straw for some people they said well no we're not going to continue we've received no support with that and you know dental practices don't get the support so that medical practices do yeah i was going to ask you that are dentists treated very differently to say the way gps are treated under the medical yeah, i mean it, it's it's a general medical practices get about 160 million per annum towards the cost of running their practices whether in the form of grants or allowances or subsidies and dentists who treat the same cohort of patients, well, we don't get any of that funding. So, you know, it's it's all been bending for a while. In 1994, it did work, but, you know, the cost of running practices, the techniques, a whole lot has changed since then. Um, dentists, we are, we are a caring profession and we fundamentally want to look after the people we've always looked after. Uh, but it's become more difficult in the past 18 months. And how, how do you see this issue getting sorted, Kieran? I, I mean, we, we we need to sit around the table with the Department of Health and with the HSE, and you know, come up with some ways forward. I mean, there are other countries do things differently. I mean, if you look at the PSI dental scheme, that is limited compared to how it was in the past, but at least it it does give some access to care, and you know, there's a co-payment system with that. Other countries have voucher systems where the state encourages greater attendance by giving patient a, a voucher that's use it or lose it. And that can be towards whatever dental care people require, just what our focus is. And then, you know, things like expansion of the made 2 tax relief, which would help families up and down the country. So there, there are lots of ways that other countries do and that we can mirror, but it's, it just has reached crisis point now. And, you know, some communities are now very underserved. Yeah, we're hearing in some areas in the country where there literally isn't uh, a dentist accepting or working with any uh, medical care patients. But I, I keep going back to, and I can't get my head around a scheme that would have been put in place in 1994. And here we are in 2021 expecting that that scheme is still going to operate. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the core of it, that it needs to reflect contemporary practice, contemporary science. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why newer dentists are, you know, they're, they're not really taught to do silver fillings. But that's the core of the 
with the medical card scheme. So there are a lot of you know, things that just haven't moved on. And the health service is difficult because there are lots of different priorities, but history hasn't you know, achieved the priority that I think it needs to. And now what's happening is you know, patients in difficulty are having to travel great distances if they can find anybody at all. And then, and I'm assuming the knock-on is you'll end up, and you probably are already, seeing more tooth decay because people aren't going for regular checkups. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, yeah. that, that has happened. That has happened since the get-go with it because essentially it's all about you know in the school system when that was working better, where there were more HSE public dentists, provision was huge. That has diminished a bit um, because there aren't as many HSE dentists able to provide the service, and all that then got worse during pandemic when the HSE dentists were diverted to doing swabbing and vaccinating, which it was great because it was important to protect the greater public health, but that service then declined for that period of time because they were diverted doing other things. And then in turn, general practice had to pick up some of the emergencies that weren't able to access to the public system. So it became a perfect storm. Yeah, and let's not forget, while predominantly your work is all about looking after uh, people's teeth, uh, you also are particularly good at seeing signs for things like mouth cancer. Absolutely, and you know, it, 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 it's frightening how we have seen an increase in mouth cancer over the wow. past years. And, you know, I will diagnose it probably three or four times a year. Goodness. 20 years ago, I might pick up one every two or three years. And it's it's smoking, it's smoking rate with high alcohol consumption, but it's also the papillomavirus, the HPV virus, which yeah. is linked with cervical cancer. And that, that's a, a constant message we're trying to get out there. And, you know, we're unfortunately seeing younger people picked up with this. And the thing is, like all cancers, if it's picked up early, it's much more successful outcomes. Yeah, and it also ties in with why you need to go to your dentist regularly just for, for, for checkups. Absolutely. It isn't all about going to get uh, fittings or extractions. All right, uh, listen, uh, Kieran, we really do hope that this issue gets solved because it's causing so much anxiety for so many people. But listen, we thank you for taking time out thank from you your uh, practice to talk yeah. to us this morning. Good morning thank to you. you. Morning. That is uh, Dr. Kieran O'Connor, and he is vice chair of the General Practice Committee of the Irish Dental Association. Now, we're already getting people contacting us with their own uh, stories about trying to access a dentist. Uh, Eleanor was on to us in the last hour. About three or four weeks ago, I discovered that I have a chip remaining in my mouth or a bone of some nature. Um, So I went and phoned the dentist to be told that they're no longer doing the service, but that I would be seen if I paid for the consultation and stuff like that, um, or else find a new dentist. So I shopped around and I tried three more dentists and none of them were taking new patients, as I know the story is. But I found one eventually that would take me on. But they told me because some other dentist had been paid for what I had been doing, I would have to have to pay myself for the bone that or whatever is in my mouth. So I think that's a bad scenario, really. Yeah, and we're hearing that time and time again. Finbar joins me about his a story to share about his sister needing dental work. Good morning, Finbar. Good morning, Patricia. You? I'm very well. Your sister is really in a bad way at the moment with her teeth. Very bad, um, Patricia. She's all her teeth are broke, you know. No, uh, she suffers from mental health problems, you know, psychosis and um, schizophrenia, you know. Yeah. No, um, this has been going on for the last year, you know. And letters have been sent to the dental hospital, and 
about Noel. She was seen in April above the uh, Dillington Hospital. Now, I was unaware that this, they were going to do this privately, you know, get her teeth removed. Like, she's only on disability allowance, you know. She's only on 203 or a week. She's running a house, you know, with my brother. And she needs to, at this stage, because the decay has gone so bad and the teeth are so badly damaged, the only option is to remove all the teeth. Well, what's happening now, Patricia, is she's getting ulcers in her, in her teeth every two weeks, you know. Motors or abscesses, sorry. Oh, God. Abscesses in her teeth because her teeth are broke, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I've had her at the doctor three times in the last three weeks getting antibiotics for, for her mouth, you know, to bring down the abscesses in her mouth, right? So what happens then is when she goes out in the air again, about a week after, she's back again with an abscess in her mouth, you know? Yeah, like, but that's just because of the condition of her teeth. But go back to, you were at the dent. she was at the dental hospital in April and yes. they obviously took one look and said all of these teeth have to come out. Yes. And what okay, so when? when? In April, and what yeah, but when, me, when 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 can they do it? Well, what they said to me was above the Denton Hospital. If she is paying privately, we'll do it tomorrow. But if she's going through the medical card, it'll be three or four years. So, like, it's 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 like the dental treatment is after being privatised by the Minister for Health and all this. You know, it's not good enough. You know, and is that to do with the waiting list for the dental hospital? Is three years? Three to four years. I've I've letters. I got a letter back from the HSE the other day. And That's they just said, shocking. They said to me um, in the letter that um, they didn't receive a letter. I sent letters in 2020, right, to the Denton Hospital and they must have mislaid the letters, right? But I, it was yeah. okay. I had a copy of but the letters from the but, 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 okay, okay. but just, just the fact that she was in there in April, they, they see, and are they aware of all the abscesses that she's now getting? Yeah, I've got letters from the doctor and everything, and, and still they're sending me letters as a macro goodwill. We'll keep her on the waiting list for three or four years is the waiting list if, she, if she's And if she on. could afford to go into a, a local private dentist? You see, she, she can't, she has to be put under general anaesthetic. All right, because, all oh, okay, so there's no other choice. She has to go down the hospital. But you're saying she could go private into a hospital to have them removed? She could go private into the hospital in the morning and get them removed. Yeah, it's but... absolute disgrace because it's like they're singing out people that are... Um, on um, on medical cards. It's just dreadful. It's it's just yeah. And so like, I didn't, I'm worried. I didn't realise the, the dental hospital. She's going to get sepsis in her mouth. Oh my god! Oh my god! Do you know, like I already lost a cousin due to sepsis. Do you know, and I don't want that to happen again. Do you know. Okay. Okay. All right. Listen, that's a, a really dreadful story, uh, Finbar. I mean, uh, and, and I don't even know what you can do, how you can. I mean, if your doctors are writing as well and uh, all you can keep do is keep at them, keep getting, keep sending the letters in. I would say every single time that she has an abscess, I'd be sending another uh, letter in.
Uh, listen, keep us posted on how you get on, uh, Fimber. I will. Uh, but Thank th- thanks for that. But I didn't realise that the dental hospital, the waiting list is as bad as it is just to get in to see a dentist. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This week's Garda Fire, we are going to Bantry Garda Station where I'm joined by Junior Liaison Officer Garda Don Davis. Good morning to you, Don. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're, you're welcome. Now, we start with uh, just a small number of crimes uh, to report, uh, starting with a burglary. This was a vacant house. Uh, yes, Patricia. This was, uh, again, I suppose what we're looking for here, Patricia, is that maybe some of the items that have been taken in the process of this burglary might just come up for sale on the markets or maybe offered under suspicious circumstances. So, unfortunately, this took place sometime between February, the 15th of February and the 20th of August last at a, a holiday home in Kilcrohan. So it's quite a good period of time ago. But the items are quite unusual, Patricia, and we're hoping they might just, you know, uh, jog someone's memory um, or maybe even, you know, we're hoping to were offered for sale somewhere in the West Cork area. So I might just uh, give you the details. Of Please some do. Of the yeah. Please Perfect. do. So, the first item taken was a 15-litre uh, boat uh, auxiliary um, petrol tank. So this, again, is specific to outboard engines. It was red, and it's for 15 litres. The second item was a two-ton red car jack. The third item taken was a blue electric grinder for um, a bench top purpose. And then there was a number of very unusual fishing knives with, with those items taken. So they're very unusual kind of gathering of items. So we're hoping it might just jog. They, might, sta- they might stand out. And there was a burglary in Upton. Yes, a burglary in Upton on the 24th, which was a Friday night. Um, taken in the process of this burglary was two dirt bikes and also some cash from a car which was parked beside the house. Now, look, I suppose Friday night up then, two dirt bikes, someone would have needed a van, someone would have needed, you know, some method of being able to take these two dirt bikes away. So we're hoping someone may have seen something unusual or suspicious in the Upton area on Friday night, the 24th of September. Yeah, and it would be unusual to see somebody with a trailer or something with dirt bikes on the back of it at night time. Absolutely. Look, yeah. this was the middle of the night. Um, you know, it, it's definitely, uh, it, if you see it, uh, you would see, look, that didn't, that wasn't quite right. So we'd be delighted to hear from anyone if they may have seen anyone and they might contact Bandon Garda Station if they have any information in relation to that, please, Patricia. And around the same weekend, there was a jet ski stolen from Harbourview Beach in Kilbritton. Yeah, that would have been the Sunday. So the Sunday, the 26th, uh, a jet ski, again, you know, you're not going to just put a jet ski under your arm. You must have needed a van, a trailer. You must have needed a couple of people to help you. Uh, so, again, this was Sunday, the 26th of September from Harbour View Beach in Kilbritton. Again, it's quite distinct, distinctive jet ski. It's a Wave Runner 700. It's a light blue and white colour. So this would be quite distinctive. Um, again, you would imagine, you know, the market for these would be very difficult so we're hoping someone may have seen something suspicious on the Sunday or it may be offered for sale to somebody. We'd love to hear from anybody in relation to it. OK, and just on scam calls and scam texts, uh, Don, I was reading this morning, it's a, a report out from the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland just showing the amount of money that's been lost by uh, victims of scams, impersonation scams, investment scams, even the, the romance uh, scams. And they're saying like it's totalling over 15 
million euro and they're saying on average a, a scammer is conning people out of 5,300 euro which is a lot of money and they're seeing an increase in the amount of money that has been lost to these uh, fraudsters and in particular an increase in scams over the pandemic something like up over 80% up to 80% uh, during uh, last year 2020 that comes I take it those stats come as no surprise to you at Angarda Shikona Unfortunately not, Patricia. And unfortunately, this has become nearly a weekly um, occurrence. We've covered it many times on your own programme. Um, even in the last week in West Cork, I know for a fact, again, there's been a number of, of uh, frauds perpetrated. So, look, the advice would be quite simple. You know, if you have any doubt whatsoever of the people that are, that are you know, contact you, please do not give them any information. Contact your local bank directly yourself or your, your society or organisation. And again, Please contact us in Angara Shikana, our Crime Prevention Officer, Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan. Do not give any details over the phone. These, these banks do not require anybody to give these details out over the phone. So please do not give any details out over the phone. And don't be embarrassed if you have been scammed to report it. I think there's that fear that with some people, oh, I'd be too embarrassed, I should have known better sort of thing. Not at all, Patricia. No, look, unfortunately, these are weekly occurrences for us now in Angara Shikana. Um, you know, the banks are fantastic to deal with in these circumstances, so do not be any way embarrassed. But it's important to come forward. You know, if you don't come forward, obviously we cannot trace these things, and the banks cannot reimburse your 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 your, your losses. So please come forward if you have been the victim of any of these scams. Okay, and the one of the old-fashioned scams was the the change scam. That's still doing the rounds. But there's some good news in that you've made some arrests in West Cork. Isn't it fantastic, Patricia, that we can come on and give good news? Um, this has been going out through, going on throughout West Carter with the last number of months. So we've we've had a number of arrests in the last week. There's been a, a number of people charged with a lot of offences, and they will be before the court shortly. So it's fantastic to see and and to hear that these um, offenders are now being caught. And this is where somebody comes in looking for change, and they try to confuse the person, isn't it? That's entirely it. They generally will come in with maybe a 100 euro note or a 50 euro note. They'll look for smaller denominations. And in the process of uh, all the confusion, they then will request their 100 euro note or the 50 euro note back. They'll hand the shop owner back what they perceive to be the money that would have been given out and they will find themselves short 20 or 30 euro in the change uh, and the offenders are gone out the door. It's shocking. It's shocking. And there's somebody retiring that you want to give a mention to. Absolutely. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. A good friend and colleague of mine, Garda Anne-Marie O'Neill, is returning after 30 years in on Garda Shikana. We just want to acknowledge it and wish her very well in her retirement. And a long and a happy retirement to you, Anne-Marie. And I did say at the start, you are the juvenile liaison officer and it is that time a year ago, a year again for the West Cork Garda Youth Awards. It is probably the highlight of our year, Patricia, you know, yes. that we can acknowledge the fantastic good work that young people are doing throughout all our communities. So again, it's the time of the year that we're now seeking nominations for the good work that these young people are doing. And again, without these nominations, you know, we cannot acknowledge these young people. So we encourage you. There's fantastic young people have done brilliant things throughout a really difficult time in our history. Please complete the nomination forms and return them to us. Now, the nomination forms can be, can be got in the next couple of days. So many of the super values any of the Garda stations or they can contact me Garda Don Davis at Bantry Garda station 
or Garda Damon White at Bandon Garda Station. We will send out the nomination well forms. And it's a, it's a chance to acknowledge the fantastic young people that we have. Listen, Don, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for that. We'll speak Thank again you. in the coming weeks. Good morning to you. That is Garda Don Davis, based at Bantry Garda Station. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I was speaking about scam calls in the last hour when I gathered Don Davis on because there's a report out from the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland that really is quite scary to think that a reported total of 15.6 million euro has been lost by victims of uh, scams in this country. It really is shocking and they reckon on average people are conned out of about 5,300 euro and there's been an increase of over 50% in the amount of money that has been lost to fraudsters and of course as we know and we've discussed it on many times on the programme there has been a sharp increase in the number of scams during the pandemic. A jump of 80% were reported in uh, 2020 and I know the Justice uh, Minister Heather Humphreys Uh, yesterday was out on scams uh, yet again issuing the same warning that we constantly give and I'll never tire of giving out the message because so many people keep getting caught but she's you know you ignore all contact for somebody trying to gain sensitive or personal information even if you think it's coming from the likes of revenue or it's coming from the banks or it's coming from the Department of Social Protection you know even if if the scam artist can make it look like that's where it's coming from nobody will ask you for your PIN or your password or your PPS number or your bank details and if you are in any way thinking that it was somebody like your own bank or whatever then contact your bank on a number that you know is a legitimate number for your bank but it's shocking to see the amount of money that has gone to these scam artists and of course whenever we mention scams we inevitably get some texts in and a listener straight away texting in about a plus three five three eight eight call or text that they've just received and wondering if it's a scam or not as I keep saying to people don't answer a phone call from a number that you don't know if it's somebody who genuinely wants to get through to you then they'll leave a message you can check your messages and then you'll know for sure if it's somebody that you want to call back or uh, not so yes if it's somebody that you haven't interacted with before their number isn't in your phone then more than likely it is a scam because there are so many of these scams during the rounds at the moment you just have to be so careful Michael was on about the drug payment scheme and, and he pays for his medication but under the drug payment scheme he only has to pay so much every month and then everything after that is uh, free but he's talking about it with regard to the budget coming up uh, next uh, Tuesday because he said it was announced under the drugs payment scheme that there was to be a reduction. Now he said it was meant to come in on the 1st of September 2020 but it ended up being pushed out to November of 2020. I actually think Michael it was earlier, it was meant to be July of of, uh, 2020. Anyway the impression was given that it was part of the 2020 budget that would have been announced in 2019 and then because of that there wasn't another reduction done last year. He feels it was a bit of a stunt that was pulled and he's fearful the same could happen in next Tuesday's uh, budget. Uh, But Michael you are right it was announced in budget 2020 and of course budget 2020 would have been in October October of 2019 it was announced that there was going to be a reduction not just in the drugs payment scheme but there was also going to be a, a reduction of 50 cent in prescription charges for medical card uh, holders it was due to come in in July actually of 2020 but for some reason that was never explained I have a vague recollection of them saying something about COVID even though that wasn't a proper explanation but it didn't actually come in come in until the 1st of November 2020 and of course there would have been another budget 
the month before that where of course it didn't get mentioned because it looked like oh we're already doing a reduction and the drugs payment scheme got reduced at that stage by 10 euro it had been 120 euro per month was what a family pay and then everything over that is free and it got reduced down to 114 Uh, will they do the same will there be another reduction I don't know we're just going to have to wait it's something I haven't seen mentioned Michael you know because there's lots of rumours going out now as to what's expected to be announced in the budget but generally speaking they're one of the smaller ones that you you generally don't hear about until the day so we'll certainly know next uh, Tuesday you don't have much longer to wait uh, Michael but he felt it was a bit of a a, a scam or a stunt needn't say scam a stunt that they actually pulled by holding out and making it look like it was in the budget of the following year and John Paul also says he said a couple of calls in from people wanting to recycle paint tins half empty paint tins you know those paint tins you paint a room and you'll have a bit of paint left and I know what it is we decide we'll hang on to it sure you might need it for up to, for a, do a little bit of a touch up or whatever and then we end up with lots of tins of paint and of course recycling it is the way to go and our do they accept them at civic community uh, sites on behalf of Cork County Council? Well, John Paul has checked, and they do. Civic community sites do accept paint tins. And I don't know if this is a new charge or not. Your first three cans are free, and then there's a charge after that. Don't know how much the charge is, and I'm open to correction, but I think that's a new charge. I don't, I remember I have brought in the past paint cans to civic community sites, but I never remember you just are allowed three and you have to pay for every one after that uh, or, or not and I'm also told it, it decides on the size of the cans but yes please even if there is a small charge uh, don't let that put you off you can go to the civic community site I mean if you want to you can go and bring three cans and then go back on another day and bring another three cans if you really don't want to pay but don't put paint tins please into general landfill waste because they're so bad for the economy actually uh, myself and John Paul were talking in the office uh, earlier today and we're hoping to actually do a piece there's a company that are recycling the, all the um, the paint that is put into civic community sites and I'm really interested I love anything like that where an item that normally in times gone by would have ended up going in being buried in landfill or would have been incinerated and is so bad for the environment and anything that could be reused I'm a I just people who upcycle things I think it's fantastic as well so I'm keenly interested in finding out more about this paint company and what they're doing with the old paint and how they're reusing it again so we're we're hoping don't know if we'll get to it this week but we'll certainly see if we can get to it next week because as I say I was talking with John Paul about it earlier on we've been talking about students going hungry and students in UCC turning up for the food bank and they ran out of food for them that's led Martin to comment on hunger worldwide not just here with our students and it says hi Patricia we have to take a serious look at why people are going without food in this day and age it said that the world can feed 10 billion people every day for every single year. We have to get to the root cause of it. Why supply doesn't reach demand in all societies? Is the whole story down to money alone? I doubt it, says uh, Martin. Yeah, and it's a good point. I know the stat that always sticks in my mind when it comes to when we're talking about food poverty and when we're talking about starvation in other countries and famines, etc., and all of that, and people in third world countries who literally are dying of uh, malnutrition. There was a statistic once, and I've checked it, and every now and again I keep checking to see is the, the stats still there, and it is. And it's, it's been said that we, as an entire Earth, our Earth, 
all of the countries together. We produce enough food every single day to feed the entire population of the world three times over. Yes, a third of the world are hungry. And it just so ju- it just shows you how much food is produced every year and every day, not even every year, and how much of it goes to waste. And while food is going to waste, we have a third of the world's population go hungry every day. I just it's one of those stats. I remember the first time I ever read about it having to reread it saying that can't be true and it is and it is and Martin is probably right is it it can't surely just be down to money alone don't know what the solution to it is Martin thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103 John wants to talk about Sloan to Care this kind of suppose ties in with the dental piece that we did as well because you know Sloan to Care is all about care in the community and primary care and all of that and surely there's nothing more primary care than getting somebody into a local dentist to have a tooth sorted out be it a filling or a treatment or whatever is needed anything to try to protect somebody's teeth but John reckons that Sloan to Care now looks like it's dead in the water yeah with so many resignations and of course the Minister was before the Oireachtas Committee yesterday wasn't he on it. Anyway John reckons that the core problem with Sloan to Care are the consultants. He said they're the most powerfully vested they have the most power vested interest in the HSE and they will never agree to public work only. Why? Because they make too much money from private uh, practice. They will never give that up just to work and do public work only. Uh, yeah, maybe the consultants that are there who have public and private work together, but can we get the new generation coming up? Can we make it so that they would be interested in just working in the public sector? It's how it works in other countries. I mean, this isn't reinventing the wheel. Other countries work very successfully with a public and a private you know, running side by side, but you have people who solely work in the public sector. We just have to make it financially worthwhile for them, uh, John. And is is that the problem, that we just don't make it financially worthwhile for them to only work in the public sector? But it, it is looking more and more like Sloan to Care is uh, dead in the water. And just on dentists, when we were talking about dentists earlier on, and everyone seems to have a story to tell about dentists, don't they? Hi, Patricia. I was going to a dentist in my local town. I don't have a medical card. I'm paying him. I'm a, I'm a private uh, patient but the last time I went to him I felt he was insulting I left and I ended up going to the dental hospital in CUH and I have to say they're brilliant now I won't go anywhere else well you're dead right to move on and if you're a paying customer of a dentist and I don't know in what way he was being insulting to you but this listener you did the right thing you, you can move your treatment uh, somewhere else when you are a paying customer you can do that somebody wants to know could we find out are there any dentists doing medical care patients around Mill Street or Cantark all I would say to you is hit the phones. You're literally going to have to ring all of the dentist practice in your area to see are they accepting medical cards and then more importantly are they taking on new uh, patients and good luck with it because we're finding pockets in areas where literally dentist practice even if they are still working with the medical practice they're full. I just don't know whether we don't have enough uh, dentists. And a Douglas listener says, Patricia, when you're talking about medical cards, my daughter who attends COPE, special needs daughter in Glasheen, had a pain in her tooth. They made an appointment for her at the dental clinic in St. Finbar's Hospital, the dental unit there. Everybody there was so nice. Filled her tooth. So I'm so grateful to them, says a Douglas listener. And listen, I can speak on a personal one from this, having my own special needs daughter, Marcia, who, bless her heart, doesn't have great teeth. 
a lot of it to do with the first eight years of her life uh, inside in an orphanage and not having proper nutrition and her teeth not being brushed and, and all of that. And see, I mean, you set down your teeth at a very young age. Your adult teeth are set down. So when she arrived, she only had baby teeth when she arrived with us and we, she lost those fairly quickly. But then her new teeth coming up, they're just not strong. They're just really, she doesn't have good teeth. So we've always had to keep on top of dental hygiene and keep her at the dentist and get her in and out to the dentist uh, as often as we can. And I have to say, that that system for special needs and special needs children then when they become adults they stay within that system I have to say I certainly can't fault it from my own point of view with with Marcia she has been treated with so much love and respect and I've been in that St Finbar's Dental Hospital with her because obviously she has to have major stuff done she has to get knocked out she's great to sit in the dental chair and we go to the dental hygienist uh, we try and get her every three months to try to keep on top of her, her, keep her teeth as strong as we can. And she'll sit in the chair and have her teeth clean. She's really, really good about it. But if she needs to have an extraction or needs to have a filling, uh, anything like that, obviously she has to go. She wouldn't understand. So she has to go. She has to be knocked out and go into that unit in St. Fimbers. And they are just incredible. There's a young dentist in there for the life. We know I can't remember her name. She's kind of got one of those names. Do you know that it's a boy's name for a girl? And she's just, oh, she was unreal, unreal. I don't know if she's still there or not, but yeah, nothing but kindness, nothing but kindness. So yeah, I 100% Douglas Nissner agree with you on that. It's one, as I say, it is one section that we, that they do, the HSE do and do so well. And that's down to the staff. Uh, absolutely for sure that is down to the staff. And then just on the putching still where the Michael Collins walking stick has ended up. So a couple of people seem to be very much aware of this pub. John in Blackpool says where that putching still, a friend of mine uh, lived in Rathcool in Dublin which is where the Putchin still is we used to go for a pint into that pub says John in Blackpool I met the brilliant Paddy Riley the singer at the bar one night he was slagging me over my Cork accent we great crack uh, so it was Paddy Riley's or it is Paddy Riley's local if you're ever in there says John in Blackpool thanks for that and then I mentioned the owner is a guy by the name of Louis Fitzgerald well, Dan knows who Louis Fitzgerald is. He says, Danny, Louis Fitzgerald is a superb person, always there to support sports causes, including Michelle Smith de Bruyne. I reckon her family must live locally because somebody earlier had said that's where her family gathered to watch her in the and her friends. You know, obviously some of the family would have travelled, but not everybody would have travelled. And that's where they gathered to watch her when she won all those medals in the Olympic Games. Uh, anyway, uh, Dan says the Putching still is full of historical and sporting memorabilia on display. Louis is originally from Kappa White. He's a Tipperary man. And um, um, so, but a superb person, says Dan. Well done, well done. He sounds like a good, a good guy. And Dan says, by the way, at the end of his text, on the issue of representation in OMA, this is when I mentioned the government are considering sending, they're going to discuss it at the Cabinet meeting today and it is pointing towards it will be Simon Coveney that will represent the Irish government. Dan reckons the government would be wrong. And it will denigrate Michael D's decision, which Dan felt was the correct decision. That's an interesting point, Dan, and one I hadn't thought of. The fact that Michael D Higgins has made his stance and his reasons as to why he doesn't want to go. Dan reckons that the government would be wrong to instead send somebody. Now, I don't know, and we maybe will find out more after the Cabinet discussion on it today. I, I, I don't know if they're sending somebody to replace Michael D. Or are they sending somebody because they've also had an invite? So it'll be interesting to see 
if Simon Coveney is going on an invite to the Irish government or is he going to replace Michael D? because they would be two very different things for sure uh, thanks for your comment Dan to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Kildallery Community Development they've got their weekly lottery draw it's always on a Thursday so it's today 4 o'clock in the community office with a jackpot this week of 3000 Euro. And a meeting regarding starting a men's shed in Donorel is going to be held at the Presentation Pastoral Centre on the Convent Road in Donorel tonight at half past seven. Now, Frank Clark, who is with the Irish Men's Sheds Association, will attend. And the meeting is to give a talk about the setting up of a men's shed. Anybody who's interested, very welcome to come along tonight at half past uh, seven. The NCBI charity shop, that's the one in Bantry. They're looking for volunteers to work with them. You'd be asked to work just for a couple of hours a week. If you have some time free, can you contact NCBI charity shop in Bantry on 087 3484 And the centenary commemorations of the Clonbannon ambush are going to take place next Saturday. It'll begin with Mass in Derenagree Church at half past one. And that's followed by ceremonial duties and an evening of a Freshmen's and will follow in Drum Tariff Parish Hall. All are welcome. Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. A reminder to us all that Focus Ireland's Shine a Light Night, which is proudly supported this year by Board Gosh Energy, is taking place tomorrow week, Friday, October the 15th. And on that night, we're hearing that people all over Cork will be sleeping out just for one night only and it's to raise vital funds to try to end homelessness and we know the fantastic work of uh, Focus Ireland. I saw Sister Stan, she was uh, launching their annual report this year you know and just this, this week I saw her on the paper um, just talking about you know it's hard to believe that there's still so many people homeless and if anything the situation seems to be getting worse so Focus Ireland just do amazing work in trying to get people off the streets and trying to get them in to their forever home. Uh, so what Focus Ireland are asking all of us to do is to host a shine a light night. Now you can do it in your business, in your workplace, in your home, or if you even just want to sleep out in your garden, you can. And it's tomorrow night week. You can sign up and play your part on Friday, October the 15th by visiting focusireland.ie uh, forward slash shine a light. And that's shine a light proudly supported by Borgosh Energy with C103. Delighted to play our part there. Keep your pet questions coming please for Jane our resident vet. She'll be joining us in a couple of minutes and while we're waiting for Jane just a couple of comments in that I want to get to on the issue that Deputy James O'Connor is meeting with the Taoiseach and the Transport Minister after the Cabinet meeting today at about half past six trying to progress bypasses in East Cork and also trying to get some commitment for the photo road to uh, Cove. I think in particular his main focus is on the bypass for Castle Martyr and for uh, Killa. Somebody's making the point, if the Greens had any understanding or appreciation of carbon emissions, then they wouldn't think twice about approving the East Cork bypass because at the moment the gridlock in Killa and the gridlock in Castle Martyr, that's on a daily basis, is seriously adding to the air pollution in that area. And you're right, and it's one of the points that Deputy James O'Connor has 
always made when he's been advocating for the approval of these bypasses. He's always bringing up the environmental aspect of it as well. And we have a transport minister who is the leader of the Green Party. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely dead right. Thank you for your comment. And then Martin in from Why wants to know, can anybody throw light on this, please? Martin says, could anybody tell me, please, why are there, bo- why are there so many bollards in the town of Formoy? They are taking up vital parking spaces. Formoy is bad enough without these bollards. Also, Patricia, what's with all the pedestrian crossings in Formoy? I'd like to know this is Martin's view. What bright spark decided to turn Formoy into a no parking area and it seems to be a town for pedestrians only? Martin in Formoy says it's ridiculous. And I'm assuming Martin is a motorist who drives in his own town of Formoy quite often and he's failing to get parking spaces. There are other people as enraged as Martin is. Too many bollards and too many pedestrian crossings. Now it's rare that you hear of an area complaining about too many pedestrian crossings, Martin, because over the year years I've done so many interviews on people screaming out looking for extra pedestrian crossings to keep everybody safe. So I think it's rare to see somebody complain that their town has too many. 1850-333-103. I mentioned the budget with regard to the comments, Michael's comment that had come in about the drugs payment scheme and the reduction in the medical cards, what people pay for the prescriptions, 50 cent went off it. And even though it got announced in 2019, it didn't actually go through until after the next budget in 2020. And he was wondering, was that a bit of a stunt that they actually pulled? And that then has led to say that when I mentioned there was leaks coming out from the budget. Somebody wants to know what are the main leaks Patricia coming out from the budget from a social welfare uh, point of view well it is looking like for sure I think at this stage that there are going to be increases in the old age pension but it's also looking like there will be increases in the core social welfare payments and certainly I think we can nearly put money on the fact that the fuel allowance payment certainly is going to get increased next Tuesday and that's got to do with the rising cost of fuel at at the moment and I think overall the government are sort of saying to themselves there has been an increase in the cost of uh, living so they've got to try and do something for people that are on fixed income, people who are on social welfare for example and also at the same time they're trying to age the post-Covid economic recovery so they're going to be the, the two main themes that is likely to shape the Budget Day package. We're told that the spending for Budget Day next Tuesday is going to be £4.7 billion. But out of that, £1 billion is still yet to be allocated. So that's where all the everybody coming in saying as to why they should get a slice of that particular pie, £1 And of course it'll be Michael McGrath, the Public Expenditure Minister. He'll have very significant challenges in trying to balance the books and try to keep everybody happy. So what has been spoken about at the moment and the major leak I suppose at the moment it's been speculated and it will all be speculation until the Minister gets to his feet next next uh, Tuesday but they're looking at at least €5 Euro on the state pension is uh, expected um, and also increases of a similar and as I say similar amount going to all of the core social welfare uh, payments that's people like job seekers allowance people on disability allowance widows pensions all of those people are saying that that's almost going to be a, a definite there's also talks of a major childcare package and that'll be aimed at including increasing affordability for hard-pressed parents, many of whom are paying childcare uh, costs. In many cases, they're equivalent to a second mortgage. So it does look like 
families are going to be looked after. But at the moment, it is looking like a, an extra fiver for the old age pensioners and all of the social welfare recipients because there was talks. Some people were saying that the old age pensioners getting a fiver isn't worth it. It doesn't really make much of a difference uh, to them. And I saw some of the opposition certainly were calling for at least 10 euro for the old age pensioners because they didn't get an increase. This is the last two years. I'm open to correction, but I'm sure there hasn't been an increase in the state pension for the last uh, two years. So people were saying that they should get a bit extra, but it isn't at this point in time looking like they will. It'll be a uh, fiver across the board. As I say, all will be revealed on Budget Day next Tuesday. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie This is the Court today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Day replay on C103. Off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett uh, joins me. Good morning. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Let's get straight into questions for Jane. Anne has been on to say, question for Jane, please. My sister has a stray cat. Uh, took, him, took on this stray cat about a year ago. Fine and healthy. Has had all her vaccinations. Got the stray cat neutered and it's a happy little cat. But since Monday of this week, she appears to be gone off her food, is not hungry and actually threw up a bit of her food and seems a bit lethargic. What could be the cause? Okay, there could be a number of different causes for this, but I would say 
by the time a cat is not eating it's a very unwell cat indeed generally um cats kind of being i suppose instinctually their drive to eat and maintain their nutrition is so high that even in the face of feeling quite unwell most of them will actually be eating and drinking quite happily so for the appetite to really reduce um or be absent entirely they really are feeling very unwell so i think this cat needs a, a very swift trip to the vets to get checked out there's a number of different things that could be causing it with the primary kind of sign of of lethargy and a bit of vomiting um, it could be anything from an upset tummy to kidney issues to thyroid issues it could be a number of different things i think the best thing that will guide um, you as to what is going on is a vet check and a full physical exam with them because that can tell us a lot but sometimes with cats we might need to dig a little bit further with other investigations such as blood tests to give us initial clues because sometimes cats can actually be very good at hiding their clinical signs um, even from, from vets in consults, so sometimes we need a little bit of extra help to get to the bottom of things. So I think that it's really important for this vet to, for this cat to attend the vet for attention, but really well done on adopting him and getting him sorted with his neutering and his vaccinations. Et yeah, it's, and it's really as, as I was, I haven't got a cat at the moment, but for years we always had cats in, in our house, and you're right, alarm bells will always ring when a cat goes off its food, because as opposed to a dog, a dog might go off its food for a day or two mm-hmm. and then we'll bounce back cats generally speaking yeah. no matter how unwell they are will at least try to eat so yeah I, I would raise alarm bells for me okay uh, Mark has an issue that's just happened in his household in the last hour uh, he dropped a multivitamin pill and his Labrador before he could pick it up the Labrador ate it should he be concerned in any way it's a human multivitamin pill <laughs> hmm this is an interesting one um, right there's two ways you could go with this one uh, given that it's a large dog and it's a normal human multivitamin, it's quite likely that as a one-off ingesting it, it's probably not going to do a lot of harm. Now, having, let's say, dogs and cats, sometimes I get asked, owners owners ask me questions about giving them human med- multivitamins, and I say absolutely not, because the levels of vitamins and minerals in multivitamin tablets are for humans will be really inappropriate for dogs and cats. But as this is a one-off accident and it's a larger breed dog, so let's say rather than a tiny Yorkshire Terrier, you've got a Labrador on your hands. So it's probably a little bit more tolerant of, of having a kind of, a, let's say, a potential higher dose of multivitamins than it would normally get from its diet just for a one-off day. Um, I would watch him carefully. I think if you have any concerns or let's say if your your dog is in any way unwell over the next hour or two, it's best to contact your vet. I suppose the other way you could go with this is, and it's a very much a personal decision, is that if you just want to be sure that it's not going to cause any harm, if it only happened an hour ago, you're still within that golden period where if you attended a vet, we can give a drug which can make them vomit. That's something that we normally do for kind of known toxins like chocolate, grapes, kind of tulip bulbs, etc., where we know that something really toxic has been ingested and we need to get it out. But in this case, it's a little bit more of a grey zone because in a big dog, a one-off accidental multivitamin is probably not going to do a lot of harm but there's no guarantees there okay but as you said the larger dog probably and it's just and like you yeah. could see it happening you drop it on the floor and before you even get to pick it up they have, they have it eaten thinking oh there's a treat boom Absolutely. and it's gone <laughs> okay uh frank has been on to us uh, he, he says my dog a little jack russell 12 years 12 years of age frank has noticed that there seems to be something going wrong with his eyesight could he be going blind otherwise he's fishing he's healthy but he's noticed obviously he's bumping into things can a dog go blind at that age yeah, very much like ourselves. Vision deterioration due to age is, is really common in dogs and cats. 
Um, but I suppose one thing I would say is that, let's say, the diseases that come along with older age, such as cataracts, changes within the lens, are actually really common in older dogs. Um, older terriers would be kind of our, our main ones that we would be very concerned about. It is possible that you know, it's quite a, a kind of marked deterioration in vision, such that we're looking into things. It is quite likely that your your dog probably has not a lot of active vision because dogs and cats are actually very good at kind of making little mental maps as their vision deteriorates of where things are in the house. So let's say they'll have a little map for the living room. They'll know where the TV is. They'll know where the sofa is so that they can kind of negotiate in their own head where things should be. So you often find, let's say, that we notice that people are saying that, you know, they're bumping into furniture and usually it won't have been an acute episode of vision loss so all of a sudden it might be that you've moved the sofa two feet to the right and moved the tv and rearranged the furniture a bit and that's kind of let's say upset the little mental map that your dog or cat had in their head and they just need a bit of time to adjust um so that's quite common common thing that we hear what i would say is if you're concerned that there may be vision loss for your dog it really would be best to visit your vet for an eye exam now that may just be let's say an eye exam within their own clinic or depending on the nature of the problem it may involve referral to an ophthalmologist so an eye specialist for further assessment depending on the nature of the issue um, with certain issues like cataracts there are things can actually be done so cataract surgery in dogs is something that does exist now and is actually quite successful in some some cases um, but there are some problems that let's say degeneration of the lens or degeneration of the back of the eye and um, where the the light essentially strikes the back of the eye to make a little image that's transmitted to the brain if there's problems there it's less easy to deal with and it's more just managing their quality of life what I would say, though, is it can actually be an indicator of deeper medical issues. So sometimes, um, let's say, for, for example, cataracts where the lens becomes very thick and opaque so that the dog can't see through, that can actually be an indicator of diabetes, so a very serious health issue that needs to be dealt with. So regardless of the cause, it's definitely worth visiting your vet for an eye exam and a general health checkup in the older dog. But dogs and cats that have lost their eyesight, they can still live on. It doesn't mean that it's the end for them. Yeah, I have many dogs that come in to see me and cats even. And as long as their owner is very aware of the situation and is aware of, let's say, how they're coping at home with their quality of life, as long as, let's say, things remain quite stable and their routine remains quite stable and things, objects to kind of we're mindful about not moving or rearranging the house very frequently. Um, most dogs and cats can actually have a really good quality of life. Yeah. I suppose it's one of the senses. It's very important, but they can manage. Because they can well. lose their hearing as well, can't they, in, in old age? Absolutely. And, and in old age, loss of hearing is something we anecdotally hear from a lot of people. I know my own little terrier, Sally, in the last six months, she's become as deaf as a doorpost. Yeah. And it's actually a very difficult thing. Sometimes it can be something as simple as the build up of wax or an ear infection. But once you've ruled that out, it becomes a lot more challenging to assess hearing loss. So in humans, the test that we would do to assess how we can hear different frequencies, it's not really possible to do that in the same way in, in dogs well, and yeah. cats. Um, so it's it's more difficult. It's to just ma- it's just monitoring answer. them uh, more than anything else. You'll know yourself. Exactly. Okay, Dan in Limerick has been on. He's got a problem with the dog, obviously not his own dog, that keeps urinating on his front door. Would Jane have any suggestions on what he can do to stop it, please? Oh, this is a frustrating problem. Um, but I, I feel your pain. I have a, a cat that does its business in my flowers outside my house. So, mm. you know, a similar issue. There's no really easy solution. There are products available on the market that you can spray on areas to kind of have a nasty smell to deter dogs and cats from doing their business in areas that they shouldn't. They work sometimes. 
not all of the time um it is very difficult and particularly with dogs they're really trying to mark territory so that's probably why he's trying to mark your front door to claim it as his own as it were if you can put something in the way to try and break the habit and also if you can try and really carefully wash that with a pet safe cleaner to remove all traces of ammonia it's quite likely that you might discourage the behavior a little bit if there's not an interesting smell there already but if you can kind of just I suppose if you're if if it's worrying you enough, putting up a gate or some flower pots around there just to disrupt the area so they can't quite easily access it as they would have done before, that may help. Okay, and actually, a juror, a listener with a cat, uh, says, um, "I heard the lady talk about the cat who has been sick. My kitten went off his food and was actually vomiting as well. Took him to the vet. The, it, it ended up the cat had worms. Got a tablet from the vet, mm-hmm. and the cat has been perfect uh, since." Okay, thank you for that, juror. And Amory in Carrick Tool. Any advice for a Labrador puppy who gets very excited when new people call? It doesn't attack them or anything, but it's jumping up and down and licking them, and sometimes he ends up getting so excited he's an accident and he wets himself oh bless him right um he's probably just so excited to be really social but it's just sometimes you need to train them to you know approach things calmly i think preparing the people that are about to enter your house to remain calm and to not kind of fuss the pup straight away um is a really helpful thing so i normally tell let's say people coming into a new house with a new pup or a new dog just ask your visitors if you could just for the first five minutes just try to ignore the dog to let them settle and to know that you're a safe person and then we can kind of introduce you to the puppy afterwards and that's a really helpful thing and also using kind of the stuffable toys like cons where you can put nuts and food and cream cheese and tasty things inside having one of those ready to go before your visitor comes over and just popping them into another room so that they can calmly be distracted while the visitor enters and you could do a kind of a controlled um, introduction with your visitor then when they're a little bit less wound up. Um, that can be a really helpful thing as well. But I think it's just time, habituation, and the more people they, say, they see and the more socialisation they get, the calmer they'll be in those situations. Okay. All right, we'll leave it there, Jane. Thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat next Thursday. You've- Thanks a million. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 and to the Lampetrisha Messenger. A very good afternoon. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.